glory, 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 glory. Well, praise God. I told somebody one time, I said, if, if church is boring, you're going to the wrong church. <laughs> Amen. Aren't you glad to know who Jesus is tonight? Amen. Praise God. Uh, before you're seated, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, obviously, let's continue praying with Pastor Lucas. He is uh, still in Puerto Rico. Be back later next month, mid-month. Uh, let's keep the coals in prayer tonight. Uh, some of them are homesick. Amen. And some others and all. How many of you know God can heal and God can touch and God can save? Amen. Are you thankful for that? Let's just lift our hands together and pray right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We give you honor and praise. We pray you touch Pastor Lucas. Continue to be with him, Lord. Bless him and keep him, God. We pray, Lord, for the uh, Cole family who is homesick and others, God, as well, that you would minister your touch and healing to them and strength. God, we pray for all those that are a part of our church community that, that uh, aren't here but maybe watching online tonight that you would bless them. And, of course, all of our community, we pray for Omaha Metro in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the spirit of prayer, I want us also to pray for uh, the Chandler family. Sister, they've been here before. You've heard them sing a couple of times. Sister Chandler's dad passed away early this morning uh, from pancreatic cancer. So let's pray for uh, them that God would comfort and strengthen them. Can we do that together right now? Jesus, we reach out <clears throat> across the miles. And we ask you to send your comfort and peace, Lord, to the Chandlers and to the other family members, to that church congregation. And we ask you to be there with them, Lord, in that city and place that, God, the revival you've promised would come. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name and give you the glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Well, the Lord bless you. You may be seated. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our children and our, our teens Thank you so much uh, for being a part. All of our staff, thank you. Our nursery staff, thank you. Let's give all of our staff a great big hand. They work hard. Amen. Appreciate them and all that they do. Thank you so much. Amen. And appreciate our, uh, appreciate this church. I just love PCO. We're blessed, aren't we? Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Well. Are you ready, Brother Joey? Brother Joey is coming with a timely 10. Let's get behind him in Jesus' name. Is this one on? Don't look like it's on. There we go. Now you're on. I'm on. You're on. You guys hear me? Hey, you took my notes. Oh, those are your notes? <laughs> Preach without them. <laughs> uh, so what a blessing it is to be. <laughs> to be here alive and breathing. Um, first, I just want to give honor and thanks to you, Bishop, for allowing me to be up here. Uh, it's always nice to have a, a man of God like him supporting me and uh, just being there for me and lifting me up. So, uh, But this is something that I, I don't take lightly. So God's been dealing with me on a few things personally. And, uh, you know, where else would a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to the word? So... Uh, so with that, let's hop into our scripture. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of uh, James chapter 3, um, and it's going to be 2 through 12. Uh, it's sort of a longer read, but I'll, brief, I'll just breeze through it. So it reads, uh, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. 
For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put a bit into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting the fire on the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? And can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I know we've already prayed, but I'm going to pray again. God, I, I thank you for this opportunity. I pray that we would continue to seek you in such times. God, help us trust in you with all our hearts. Help us lean not on our own understanding, but acknowledge you throughout our entire lives, God. Make our path straight. Help us not be wise in our own eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So my titles are, Words Are Just Not Words. So teaching, it was highly valued and it was respected by the Jewish community. And many Jews who embraced Christ would have become teachers. For example, we have Paul, who had taught and wrote half the New Testament. James warns those that would teach the word of God that they would be judged with greater strictness. A teacher's word and examples affects others' spiritual lives. Uh, so this leads me to ask, if you are a teacher and a leader, how are you affecting those around you? And this is a question that I've continually asked myself. And some of you may not be a part of the fivefold ministry, which James is primarily addressing, but are you a parent? Are you a grandparent? Are you a spouse? Are you filled with the Holy Ghost, an ambassador of Christ? Then this is for you. So I love how real James is at the beginning of chapter 3. He comes out and he plainly says, we are going to stumble in many ways. And this means to make a mistake or to err or to sin. And we know that the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, for a just man falls seven times, but he continues to arise. So then he goes in and he talks about a certain man being perfect. And that word of perfect means being mature. It's a man that is able to control his words. And when he or she is able to mature and control their words, they can in return control their life. Think about it. When having a parenting moment, uh, I have these often with my little girls, or even having a learning moment with someone, saying you're learning a new job, and you're trying to mature them or help them grow in, in what they're doing. Um, and you're trying to build them and teach up certain skills. And that individual looks at you and they say, I can't do this. Well, I was taught as a young man by my father, all you simply had to do was remove that apostrophe T, and you say, I can do it. And then we were ready for whatever we were trying to accomplish. So just by switching certain words, we can, it can dictate your actions. So if the tongue is like the bit in the mouth, or of the, if, the, if the tongue is like the bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on a ship, 
it leaves me with a question. I'm going to have a few questions tonight, so bear with me. So who's holding the reins? Who's holding the reins? And who's directing the rudder? Some people have no hand, nor do they let God in control over their reins or rudder. Therefore, they say whatever comes to mind. Uh, others direct their tongue from their emotions or their carnal nature, uh, possibly even from entertainment or certain programs that they constantly take in. Um, but James, he points us towards having the spirit of God within us and working through the new man, uh, which allows Jesus's hands on the reins and the rudder that is our tongue. So what others say to us and what we say to others can have a uh, uh, last a, a long time. And for good or for evil, uh, the casual sarcastic remark or uh, a critical remark uh, can have a de devastating impact on, on someone's well-being and, and their state of mind. Um, as well, also, a well-timed compliment can really lift someone up and change their lives forever. Uh, I've experienced it this past month. But uh, I've also had moments just recently where God showed me how in my words, uh, again, there's power in them. And for example, like, I had to be mad at one of my little ones, and, and I would say, I just, I just can't right now. You know, and I'd say it all angrily and look at him with my eyes and, and I just can't right now. And uh, I could only imagine what my four-year-old is processing as she's looking at her dad saying, I just can't right now. And, uh, you know, so, so God corrected me in that. And when having that moment, I realized that I needed to turn that I, I just can't right now into God help me so that I can uh, get through what I'm going through. Uh, yeah, um, so in Matthew uh, chapter 12, 33 through 37, it reads, Either make the tree a good tree and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are of evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure bring forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure bring forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give Give an account of every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So this brings up my next question. Uh, can the mouth or the tongue be tamed? I'm glad you asked, as Bishop always says, and yes, yes it can. So when reading the scripture, uh, I was at first sort of confused. Um, and I know God's not the author of confusion, um, but I prayed and I asked, and, and, and he sort of gave me a better idea, uh, that James, he wouldn't give us two examples of physical things that we can relate to and two physical things that are being controlled. Um, both the bit and the rudder, depending on who's completely in control of your mouth, will control the circumstances of life. Um, so I'm not saying that life's going to be all peaches and let's go, let's do this, because if you think about it uh, with a horse, um, it's probably going to go through some rough terrain. Um, and then as well with a ship, there may be a storm or two that you're going to encounter. Um, but if you just let God have control in those moments, he'll get you through it. So give God control of your words. And scripture by itself, it, it teaches. Um, I'm going to refer back to our scripture and it says, uh, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring 
pour forth from the opening both fresh and salt water? And can a fig tree, my brother, bear fig, uh, olives? And can a grapevine produce figs? And then it goes on and explains, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. But James, he also had a whole bunch of questions as well. Um, just because I believe we need to have healthy questions we ask ourselves every day. Um, and then I also believe that we need to... Uh, have a healthy question about the word of God, because I believe questions, uh, they lead to discovering a greater purpose for our walks with the Lord. So um, like he said, these things ought not to be so. So we need to understand that the way we use our words with each other affects the nature of our praise to God. God no more accepts words of love and devotion from a mouthful of insults and hatred than we would accept drinking water from a polluted spring. So the Bible is full of scripture on how important our words are. It says uh, in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. God's word heals anxiety. I'm thankful for that. Pleasant, it says, pleasant wounds are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. And that's Proverbs 16, 24. God, God's word, word, it's good for your soul and it makes your inner structure solid. It's, and then also in Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And that's Proverbs 18.21. Matthew 4.4, 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Colossians 4.6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know ought to answer each person. So, and, and, and there's so many more that talk about your words and the power of them. So I hope I was able to get my point across. Uh, our words are important. How we use them is critical. And with them, you can form relationships and you can destroy relationships. And with them, you can form alliances and start wars, right? So we need to think before we speak, pray before we speak. And if you need to ask yourself, how would Jesus reply? Uh, I, I find myself doing that a lot. So, um, so whether you're going rough, through rough terrain or possibly a storm, Try to do your best to utilize your words to glorify Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome job. How many of you appreciate the word of the Lord? Amen, amen. Thank you, Brother Joey. And Lord, help us to, amen, fulfill that. Amen. Well, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to direct your attention, if you would join me, in the book of Hebrews, and uh, chapter number 12, and I'm going to read uh, from beginning at verse 25. Now, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it is on the screen. It's, I know it's a little bit smaller font, but um, some of the rest of those will be bigger. Uh, be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking for... If the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe, for our God is a devouring fire. And tonight, I want to preach God's unshakable kingdom. 
Amen. So, I prayed a couple times. Joey prayed. So, in Jesus' name, I'm going to start preaching. All right. (laughs) In these five short verses that I've used for our text, the writer of Hebrews quotes from some other places in Scripture, um, many of them in the Old Testament. First of all, he quotes from Haggai, uh, which says the very same thing about the Lord shaking the heavens and the earth. And this is Haggai 2, verses 6 through 9. Haggai also prophesies that the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. Okay, You can also see that uh, uh, in Psalms, uh, Psalm 102, verses 25 through 28, as well, uh, he quotes from here how the foundation of the earth was laid and made in the heavens and so forth. And uh, like in verse 26, he says, you will change them like a garment and discard them. Okay, so he's drawing from these places to speak. In Hebrews 12, 29, the writer of Hebrews quotes from Deuteronomy, for the Lord our God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. And from Psalm 21, 9, you shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath and the fire shall devour them. And finally, he reaches uh, into 2 Thessalonians and draws from uh, possibly a contemporary of his time. And this is what the word of the Lord says here. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. So these are some references which... Uh, you know, as we uh, unpack this message, there, there's going to be some more. But these references are, are ones that particularly were drawn from to, to prove and interpret and qualify what Hebrews was saying. And as you know, over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at the churches of Colossae and Thessalonica specifically and their core values. And tonight, although the book of Hebrews is not written to a church, Specifically, this passage contains some core values that we must have as we strive to endure faithfully to the end. And during these last days that we are in presently, we are faced with various things. And the last days are now. We know that in the last days, perilous times come. Uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3 uh, says that. We know that evil seducers are waxing worse. 2 Timothy 3.13. We know that scoffers are walking after their own lusts in these last days, mocking and questioning the Word of God. We see that in 2 Peter 3 and 3. But we also know that in these last days, God is pouring out His Spirit upon all flesh, which Joel prophesied and Peter preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 16 through 18. So yes, persecution will come. Yes, desolation will come. But yes, redemption will come. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And so what should we do knowing that we have received a kingdom that is unshakable? What core values should we live by as we remain steadfast and immovable, enduring to the end. Well, first of all, we need to have grace. In the King James, it says, let us have 
grace. The New Living says, let us be thankful. The reason for this difference, grace versus thankful in the two translations, is that the word grace here in the uh, Greek means thanks for benefits or services or favor. So the word then connects us to Noah. When God looked down, while I believe Noah was looking up, and he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Okay, In that context of Genesis 6, God is ready to destroy humanity. He's ready to wipe them out. He repents that he made man in the first place. But as he's looking down again, I uh, uh, you know, submit to you that uh, possibly Noah was praying and looking up. And he finds favor with God. And so he builds an ark to the saving of his household. Now, thankfully, we can live in the favor of God. And that's how we are to live. God, I thank you every day for your favor on my life. This is the first core value, this having grace, this being thankful for God's favor and not taking it for granted. Amen? So here's, here's why. Because this world and everything in it will be consumed by the fiery wrath of God. We are on the very precipice of the holiday season. And for some people, it's all about what am I getting? Right? What is going to be under the tree? It's that, it's that commercialization of, of the Christmas holiday that, that it's about giving and getting or getting and getting and getting. And so uh, people are consumed by this. But, but everything that, that is on this earth right now and all the heavens around us are going to be melting with fervent heat. So in the grand scheme of things, is all of this really worth it? All of our pursuing of, of, of things, is it really worth the effort sometimes we put into it? But yet those who are born again, who are a part of the unshakable kingdom of God, have upon them a divine favor from God. I believe in part, this is why uh, John was compelled to write this, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. It's all going to perish. Amen. But I, I want to have the grace. I want to live thankfully in the favor of God and be thankful for what I have and, 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 and be thankful for what I get to do, but, but make sure that I measure my bucket list on this earth against laying up treasure in heaven. Amen? So, uh, in the 13th chapter of Hebrews, the, the writer gave us a, a, another glimpse of what it means to have grace. He says here in verse 14, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. There's this element of, I'm not worried about my, my you know, geographical address down here, my, my longitude and latitude down here. I'm looking forward to the city to come. Amen. I'm looking forward to new heavens and new earth. I'm looking forward to what will eventually be. I'm going to bring heaven to earth while I'm here, but I'm looking forward to what is coming. And verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So while we do again strive to bring heaven to earth, and we should, 
We also long for the new heaven and new earth. And as we reign with God presently in the kingdom now on earth, we will do so with grace, offering Him sacrificial praise and thanksgiving. Amen. Why don't we just go ahead and take a moment and just thank God. Thank you for your favor, Lord. Thank you for your grace, God. Thank you, Lord, that you died on, my, on, on Calvary for my sin. Thank you that you rose again. Thank you that you ascended. Thank you that you restored dominion to your church. Thank you, Lord, that I have authority. Thank you, Lord, that I have access. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, your favor upon me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Isn't he wonderful? All right. The next core value is to serve God acceptably. Here, it means to offer the well-pleasing worship to God daily. This is what serving God acceptably would mean. And we have to remember, worship is not what we do. It is who we are. And so let's take a look at some scriptures to maybe give us some deeper clarification of what it means. Jesus said this, And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Uh, many years ago, I was reading that one day, and, and it, was, it was at the height of, of people calling each other losers, you know, and putting the big L on the forehead. And I'm like, you know, after all, I am a loser. <laughs> I don't mind being one. I've lost my life for the sake of Christ and the gospel. So you know what? I'm a loser. Yay. I've lost out on a whole lot of things too, being a loser. Because <laughs> I've gained a whole lot <laughs> being a loser. Hey, Amen. So if somebody calls you a loser, just say, you're absolutely right and quote Luke 9.24. You know, you'll feel better. They'll be confused and, and arguing will be over. You know? <laughs> but see, here's what happens sometimes. We want to go tit for tat. Oh, you're calling me a loser? Well, you're a jerk. You know, and we start just, <laughs> it, it, that, you ain't going to win anything. But if they say you're a loser, say, yes, I am. <laughs> They're going to look at you and go, um, you really are wacko, aren't you? Come to my church and I'll prove it, you know? Yeah. Well, what does serving God also mean? It, it, it means uh, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I'm going to read that verse that we're familiar with, but from the New Living. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Have you noticed uh, that there's a sense here of what does God find acceptable, right? Now, I'm not mocking those people that quote-unquote accept Christ as their personal Savior because when I meet somebody that tells me that, I look at them and say, hey, me too, brother, me too, sister. And, and you know what else I did? I got baptized in his name and I spoke in tongues. I, I don't try to be, the, oh, that's not the right way. That's foolish, okay? But Because we do have to accept Christ. You know, if you don't accept that he died for you and that he is God, really what they're saying is when they say, I've accepted the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior, they're telling you they've repented. Because in essence, that's what it means to repent, to change the way you think and act. 
I need God. Without him, I'm, I'm, I'm damned. Therefore, I accept that he died for me, and I need to repent. That, that's really what that is. So I say to him, absolutely. You know, I have two, but I also got baptized, whatever. Here's the thing, though. We, a lot of churches focus on, all you got to do is accept Jesus. Just accept Jesus. Accept Jesus. Well, maybe in a lot of those churches, we ought to start preaching, does Jesus accept you? You know, does Jesus accept what I'm doing? If I bring an offering to the Lord and it's not acceptable like Cain's, I don't want to do what Cain did and go kill my brother about it. I want to instead say, okay, what, do I, what must I do to be saved then? If this is the wrong way, show me the right way. Right? And, and so what does God find acceptable with my lifestyle? Or not acceptable. So serving God acceptably. We're talking about a core value, especially this message tonight, dealing with what we're doing as we're leading up. Not that the other ones are invalid, but, but certainly this one even more so with its connotation and connection to the kingdom and the coming everlasting kingdom. I need to serve God acceptably. We need to get out of a check mark system. Read my Bible, went to church, you know, witnessed to somebody. You know, gave my tithe. Check, 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 check. We've got to get out of that kind of a mindset and into one that says, Lord, what do you want me to pray for? Who do you want me to minister to? Right? Okay. All right, I've got to move on here. <laughs> Serving God acceptably is realizing that you were once enslaved as a king, or to the kingdom of darkness, rather, but you are now the light of the world, and therefore bearing the fruit of the Spirit. I like how Joel Urshan preached it at uh, General Conference a couple weeks ago, and I posted his quote, and then a friend of mine, Jeff Reddy, uh, posted uh, an additional piece to it. So this quote you're about to see is from the two of them. If the fruit will grow, the gifts will flow, and then everyone will know. And here's the verse. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Watch this. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Right? So if, if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit then I should be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says the kingdom is not meat and drink. Right? It's not rules and regulations. That's what that is really saying there. Because it's in chapter 14 of Romans talking about how that, that you know, well, well, this one eats or this one doesn't eat meat and this one does that and doesn't do that. And, and it's, it, Paul's like, hey, the law was fulfilled, y'all. That's not what the kingdom is. But then he explains what it is. But it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So I need to make sure that the fruit of the Spirit is proving. And so by the bearing of that fruit, and the Bible says God wants us to bear much fruit, John chapter uh, 15. And as we bear that much fruit, guess what happens? We prove what is acceptable to God. There it is, plain and simple. You know, the scripture really does give us the answers we're looking for. 
Well, here we go. Hebrews 13, 16, another answer. And so don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. This is, again, New Living Translation. These are the sacrifices that please God. I like the way this is worded. Don't forget to do good and share with those in need. It's almost as if the writer realized there's going to be sometimes we're so busy that we do forget. And we need those gentle reminders every once in a while to say, hey, are you helping somebody? Are you being kind to somebody? Right? You all know one of my vices. Driving. You know, I'm working on it. Working on it. It's a daily process. Being molded. Don't like it, but I'm being molded. But even in that, I'm like, God, I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And and I'm trying. I'm like trying to bless them. Every once in a while I get really blessing them. Jesus, bless them with a wisdom to push the right pedal, please. You know? And I find that that's not the right way to be praying. And I look at this verse, I'm like, i got to be reminded to do good. (gasps) Amen. Serving God is acceptably as being equipped by the great shepherd to fulfill his purpose. Look what Hebrews 13, uh, 20 and 21 says. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. That phrase means to equip. So equip you in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and every man. That basically says the same thing that Ephesians said, that, that when you're filled with the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will automatically come as a result. Right? Make sense? Okay. So... Serving God acceptably as kingdom ambassadors, his royal priesthood, is loving what God desires and loving to do what God desires. It's a surrendering of my will for his. In other words, I'm genuinely praying, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. I'm genuinely praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. I have a will, I have a desire, but kingdom praying is saying your will be done because your will is superior, your will is superlative, your will is the best. I know what I want, but what I want may not be the best answer. So God, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus is our example. Let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So as we pray that, that's what serving God acceptably means. Let's take a look at the third one. The third core value is with reverence and godly fear. So as we fulfill our kingdom purpose on earth, this final core value is that we should practice living with reverence and godly fear. And they're kind of interchangeable because fear, godly fear... Uh, is about 99% reverence and about 1% of being afraid because God has the power to snuff our life out. So there is a sense of fear as the being afraid aspect because He is God and He holds the world in His hands, so to speak. But really, the bulk of it is that deep sense of reverence 
that I need him, and without him I'm nothing, and so I love and worship him. Does that make sense? So let's understand the fear of God for just a minute then, because Solomon summed up our entire duty in fearing the Lord and obeying his word. And, And this is what he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You want to summarize what our duty is, why we're here? It's to fear God and keep his commandments. The word keep is to guard and practice and love his commandments. Amen? In the preamble to Proverbs, Solomon had this to say, and Job and, and, and David also said some things. Let's take a look. I've got three verses on this screen here. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Job again said, and unto man he said, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. David in Psalm 19 said, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We need a revival of the fear of the Lord. Amen. Uh, The unknown psalmist for Psalm 111 had this to say about the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So these verses I've just shared with you from Ecclesiastes, Job, and Psalms basically are all saying the same thing, that that fear is the beginning of wisdom. So James, and, and, and Brother Joey had read it earlier, but uh, he said, if any of you lack wisdom, in James 1, what do you do? Ask. And God, who does not upbraid, upbraideth not, gives liberally. In other words, if you want it, ask. Okay? But then in James 3, I think it's starting about verse 13 through the end of the chapter, verse 18, he starts talking about the two different types of wisdom. Okay? One is from above. It's the latter one used in verses, I think, 17 and 18, but maybe 16. But the other ones are the wisdom that is from beneath, not from above. That wisdom, the wisdom of this world, leads to all manner of evil. And the wisdom from above, of course, is pure and all those other things that is listed there. So when you ask for wisdom, make sure you're asking the right source. Because if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that fruit is the wisdom that descends not from above. But if you eat from the tree of life, that's the wisdom from above. Okay? Makes sense? And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So guess what I want to submit to you now? I submit that the problem with Adam and and the woman was there was no fear of the Lord because that's the beginning of wisdom because had they had wisdom they wouldn't have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil had they had fear they would have known oh nope God said no I'm going to eat this one but let's return to Proverbs as well and discover some additional insight about uh, the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, it says, My son, if you, will, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments in you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, 
if you will cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So now he gives us how to get it. It's not just simply asking it. it that's a, definitely a piece of it. And, and James kind of just summarizes it, asks for it. But the assumption is if you're asking, you're asking the right way. And here's the right way. You've got to value it like this is to be valued. The same way you would value treasure. The same way you would seek after silver. The same way you would go after, can I modernize it, that career advancement, that degree. Right? The same way you would go after those goals and dreams and bucket lists. Put that same effort into seeking wisdom. And if you notice, there were three ifs. If you'll do, if you'll do, if you'll do. Then, verse 5, you'll understand. So it's conditional. If you don't do those things, don't be surprised if you don't have wisdom. I'm not trying to say that to be rude or inconsiderate. I'm just stating the obvious. If you'll do what the Word says, you'll get what the Word promises. Because God can't lie. Titus 1-2. It's impossible for God to lie. So uh, John 10-35, Scripture can't be broken. In other words, if we'll do what it says, we'll get what it promises. And if I'll go after wisdom... In that way, I've had people say to me, how do you know so much about the Bible? I, I'm, I'm going I'm to, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. Lord, please test my spirit now. Yes, I have the call to preach. And yes, that is a gifting that is given to me to expound the scripture. I understand that. And those of you that are called to preach, you know what I'm, what I'm referring to. But I study. I dig. I search. That's, I'm not trying to say, I, 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 me, me, me. I'm not trying to be arrogant. What I'm trying to say is there's an element of I'm doing what Proverbs says to do. I'm seeking for it like I would for silver. I'm going after it like it's the, the next greatest, best thing, and I better get in on the ground floor. I'm putting all my eggs into God's basket. And counting my chickens before they hatch. So, just because I'm called to preach doesn't somehow give me this red telephone that I get to call Jesus directly. I just, oh, help me, Lord. I hope this is making sense. And I hope you're understanding what, the heart of what I'm saying. You do need a pastor. I need a pastor. I get all that. But if you'll do the same thing, you'll have the same wisdom. All right. Okay. All right. We've got to move on. Although, you know, you canceled praise team, so I could go a little bit longer tonight. Whew. Hallelujah. Thank you. I just remember that. That was a word from the Lord right there, Alicia. It's, it is not back on. I hereby rebuke you in Jesus' name. <laughs> hallelujah all right praise god let's let's continue looking at a few more things here proverbs eight thirteen. look at what this says and again i apologize it might be a little bit hard to read on there i 
I'll go bigger font next time. Um, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Well, you can also see up there in Psalm 97.10, you that love the Lord, hate evil. Amos 5.15, hate the evil, love the good. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. If you're going to have the fear of the Lord, there's going to be some things you love and there's going to be some things you hate. You can't be doing the splits in the world and try to one foot in the world and one foot in God. It ain't going to work. It's not going to be successful. you got to hate this and love God. Amen. And, and that helps to produce the fear of the Lord. That is what the fear of the Lord is. Amen. And I don't even, I'm not going to quote the rest of these, but you can see on the screen, Proverbs 10, 27, and, and 14, 26, and 27, and Proverbs 19, 23, and 29, 25, all talk about different aspects of what the fear of the Lord is and what the fear of the Lord does and how it leads to a satisfying life. So the point is, since we have a kingdom that is unshakable and we know Jesus is coming back, how should we respond? Well, we should act like ambassadors of his kingdom and have the grace that he has given us and serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. L listen to how Peter said it uh, and then also uh, how John wrote it. And Peter wrote it this way, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy uh, conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming day of God? The word hasting there is an interesting word because it can mean to speed up the process. It can mean that something you do makes something happen quicker. Uh, it, but obviously we can't necessarily do that per se. Uh, but what it's really saying is that I need to be ready at a moment's notice. And if Jesus came for me on a personal level, I'm ready. That I need to do as much as I can to bring as much heaven to earth so that when he comes, I can bring as much people with me to the new Jerusalem. 1 John 3, 3 says it this way, and every man that has this hope, what hope? Uh, if you go from 1 John 2, 28, 29, and verses 1, 2, and 3 of the third chapter, you'll see he's talking about the coming of the Lord. You'll see he's talking about being ready for that moment. And then he, he says, every man that has this hope in him, him is God. Every man who has this hope in God purifies himself as God or as he is pure. Okay, so here's why that's important. Because we measure ourselves, Ephesians chapter 4, against the measurement of Christ. Not against each other. I'm not being pure and saying, okay, well I'm more pure than Pastor Trevor and less pure than Brother Jeff. I, it, that's, it's not a measurement between others. It's as he is pure. So the purity I'm going after is not some denominational dogma or, or creed or, or bylaw. Or I'm going after how pure is Jesus. I want to be that pure because he's coming again. I want my daily life to be pure. It's the values I talked about last week and having that value-centric mindset to say, I'm doing this because I love Him. Praise God. You know, Jesus came and, and He would teach and, and 
I would say all of his teachings, was to correct the, the, the wrong theology that Israel was believing. For one thing, they were believing that the Messiah was coming to overthrow the Romans. And the rabbinical teachings of the, of the Talmud had taught that. And so he had to counter that problem. False teaching based upon their own eisegesis. They're inserting their opinions into the scrolls, into the word. But even what they did then preach from the word, they, 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 they made bondage out of it. And so you, Jesus would say things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. What he was doing was saying, this is how you've heard it said and taught, but that's wrong. This is what I meant when I gave the law. And that's why Jesus is the fulfillment of. That's why he could say, I've not come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. All of it. And he did. So he had to correct their theology. I want God to correct me because I want to be pure as he is pure. I want to, I want to know that I know that I know. Does that make sense? And so I don't know all things and I can't explain all things, but, but this I know for sure. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is unstoppable and his kingdom is unshakable. Therefore, I'm putting all my trust in the one true God. I'm, I'm, I'm going gung-ho. I'm sold out. I'm a loser. I'm, I'm in it for, I'm going all the way. Amen? Did you get that part? You know that? I, I'm a double loser. So. <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Let's stand together. Oh, I have fun teaching. I just wish I had more time to do it. Um, there's been a theme going on, if you haven't noticed, of some kingdom principles. The Psalm series that I'm doing, Psalm 145 had some kingdom principles. There were some in Psalm 146. Uh, there's This coming Sunday, there's some. In Psalm 149, there's some more. This message tonight, you know, just God is talking to the church, telling us the kingdom is now. And so many people have this, I, I, I guess the reason I felt to, to teach this series more than anything was so many Christians live in a um, rules and procedure mindset. And that's not a kingdom mindset. They, 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 they're looking for this esoteric, mystical something that's out there that's really not supported entirely in Scripture. Unfortunately, some of our songs, and none of them we sing, by the way, just so you know, because I, I would not let them be sung. Huh? I say, well, that's why. But 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 some of these songs give us this false sense of security. And 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 there's a lot of people living with this escapist mentality that 
It's all going to get better when I get out of here. Now, I do understand in some sense, yes, in the New Jerusalem, there is no fear, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no death. I get all that. I can't wait for that either. Because in the Bible, the only perfect chapters are chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis and chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation. And the reason is there's no Satan in any of those chapters. Perfect, beautiful, can't wait for that. But I'm also, right now, in this present state, as an ambassador, as a minister of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, right? He's given to me the ministry of reconciliation. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I am to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Matthew says, in earth as it is in heaven. It's not just on earth. So I am to bring as much heaven as I can to earth now. It doesn't take away from looking. There are verses that speak to that. I read a couple tonight. I referred to a couple. We do look for that day. We do haste for that day. And Titus tells us to looking for that blessed hope. And thank God for it because it helps keep us going. But while we're looking for it, let's make sure we're also bringing hope to those around us here. Praise God. You're a part of an unshakable kingdom. The economy, I, I can't tell you what it's going to do. I can't tell you it, when, when the next crime will be and, and when crime will, will end, except, of course, when Jesus comes. But the point is this. What I can tell you is you're a part of an unshakable kingdom. And that's what we hope for and in. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that the word of God would empower us and equip us to do your perfect will. That, God, we would learn and ever be your servants. That we would walk holy before you. And all of these core values that we've looked at with Colossae and Thessalonica and now tonight Hebrews. That, God, we would embody them. And, and, Lord, as we've put together our own to connect and grow and serve and lead, that we would do this on a daily basis to please you. I ask it. I pray it. I expect it. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. God bless you. Be the church. You're deployed.